The New Age Christianity Podcast is brought to you by... Hello, New Age Christian family. This is Austin Fletcher. You are listening to the New Age Christian Podcast, and this is episode number 26. So have you ever heard the verse, Romans 10, 9, that says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. My question today is, saved from what? We have so many ideas about what we're being saved from, this idea of a God who is out there waiting to punish us, an idea of our actions coming back to haunt us, maybe even some sort of Christian version of karma. Regardless, this idea of salvation is really something that I think has been a plague and a pox on the world that I'm hoping to unpack today in a way that maybe you've never heard and it can bring so much freedom to us as a community and hopefully to the world as we get free, so does everybody else. As always, let's get started and have some fun. All right, salvation. Oh my goodness. Salvation from what? That is my big question these days is I can't remember the first time that I really started to ask that. Um, but I do remember just the energy of realizing, oh my goodness. Okay. So I believe in this idea of salvation. It's kind of something that the whole world believes in that we need to be saved. But it wasn't until I was much later in my Christian walk that I thought, okay, wait, what am I being saved from? You know, for me, there are a few answers that people have for that. And there's one that absolutely gets my blood boiling just because of what it turns into, you know, this thing that we're being saved from. But, um, you know, you can think of, well, I'm being saved from my consequences or my sin. And in some ways, that's probably the most accurate one that you would be saved from. Uh, your own self, but uh, other, you know, the idea of karma that my sins would come back from me and that I won't receive the punishment from sin. But the another one would be the idea of being saved from hell or being saved from judgment, the judgment of God. That one for me is my least favorite because it turns God into, we're unpacking it a bit, but it turns God into an absolute asshole, if you ask me. And so, what are we being saved from? And scripturally speaking, that passage is right in the middle of a long section that Paul is talking about uh, something very specific, and it's not a judgeful God or a vengeful God. Anyway, the idea of salvation, and uh, I want to kind of break it down into breaking that idea apart for a bit and then giving you what I think, the, what it means. And then I want to end with kind of the big question of, you know, there's a few questions around universalism. You know, is everybody saved? Or once saved, always saved? If you're on the New Age side of this community, you may not have heard that phrase. But in the Christian world, you know, there's a big question around, well, if you were saved once, can you lose your salvation? You know, can you backslide? And uh, maybe you grew up in the church and you were told that if you walk away from the church, you're going to lose your salvation and you're going to go to hell. And some denominations believe that. Other denominations believe that once you confess Jesus Christ and you believe in your heart and you, you know, all that stuff, that you're going to be saved forever regardless of what you do. And it's all quite silly. 
I can even feel my energy on it as I'm talking. It just is a bunch of malarkey, if you ask me. And I'm hoping to maybe calm some nerves and bring some peace for maybe those of you who either have been cursed by your family, because that's literally what it is, when you left the church and you were told that you're going to hell. Thank you, mom and dad, for that curse. That was awesome. Not my mom and dad. They did not. But I know people who have. Or maybe you're one of those that uh, you are a mom and a dad and your child is the one that left and you're scared for their soul and you genuinely have a perspective that says they're going to go to hell and you don't want that, clearly. Either way, the idea of salvation, it kind of has some underlying assumptions that I don't think most of us have questioned for our lives. And the underlying assumptions are basically something along the lines of, We, as humans, are the problem. We are a problem. We are the problem. We're not really sure a problem for what, per se, in the sense that, you know, is it the world around us? Oh, we're the problem for the planet. That's the new one. Um, We are the problem for each other. So if we just weren't here, there would be no problems. We're the problem for God somehow because we're a threat to him or maybe we're a problem for the animals or something, but we're a problem and we're a big one. We are a big problem and therefore the natural consequences of being the problem, air quotes, is that we need to be punished and that punishment or we need to pay the price. So either it's punishment if you bring in somebody like God It's paying the price if you bring in something like karma and or God. And I think God is just the big karma of Christianity for most people that God's going to punish you as opposed to life punishing you or energy punishing you. But nonetheless, we're the problem. We need to pay the price. And unless we get saved from paying this price, we will pay it. And some religions have that price being paid in life and other religions have it. Most religions have that price being paid in death so that you live the life. You are the problem. You have to pay the price. You have to pay the penalty. You got judgment coming and death awaits you in the form of blessed or cursed. Yes or no in or out. You know, the old idea, I think it's uh, Osiris, the Egyptian God who would weigh the hearts of dead people And if their heart was heavier than a feather, I think, then they would go to hell. And if their heart was light, then it would go to heaven. So this Egyptian idea, honestly, of salvation and judgment and being saved from that judgment or in that judgment, it's pervaded the world. It's pervaded the human psyche for thousands of years. And for me, when I began to understand who God really was as my heavenly father, who Jesus really was as my older brother, and more importantly, who I really was in the universe as a human, as a son of God, as a child of God in general, the question then became, what am I really being saved from? Because if I'm honest, the picture I was given as a Christian is that I was being saved from a just God. He may not be angry with me, but I messed up, so he's got to murder me. 
I mean, that's exactly, I don't know any parent that would look at their child and say, you stole the cookie. I told you not to steal the cookie. I'm sorry, but it's time to die. I mean, that's, but apparently that's what God is doing. That you ate the apple, Eve. I told you not to eat the apple. And I'm sorry, it's time to die. Well, if you go back to that story, it's a great place to start. God does not say, in the day you eat of this tree of the knowledge of good and evil, Eve and Adam, he doesn't say, in the day you eat of it, I will surely kill you. He says, in the day you eat of it, you will surely die. Think about that. That the result of whatever this was, this mistake, this sin that came about was not God's doing. It was the natural outcome of what we had done and what we had built. And if you look at the name of the tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, that should be a massive hint for you. That when we partake in that knowledge, the knowledge of good and evil, the knowledge of what is right and what is wrong, and if you go to biblical language, it is the knowledge of the law, that when you partake of the law, the natural result is death. The natural result is judgment. And if you go read Romans 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, you will see very clearly that while the law has done a great service in showing us who we really are, if you are still under it, you are dead and you are dying. I'm going to skip to the point in Romans 10, 9. I'm going to give you the full context of what Paul is saying. That The 10, 9 says, if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and you believe in your heart, God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Awesome. That's the verse that everybody preaches when they go out and they say, you need to be saved. You need to be baptized and you need to confess with your mouth and believe in your heart. And then you're good, apparently, because Paul said it. Well, let's look at the context of what Paul said. So this is in Romans 9. I'm going to go back to Romans 9, verse 30. What shall we say then? That Gentiles, non-Jews, Gentiles are non-Jews, that Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness attained righteousness, even the righteousness which is by faith. But Israel, or Jews, pursuing a law of righteousness, did not arrive at that law. Why? Because they did not pursue it by faith. But as though it were by works, they stumbled over the stumbling stone. Just as it is written, Behold, I lay in Zion a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense, and he who believes in him will not be disappointed. So, context quickly is that the Jews were pursuing righteousness through the knowledge of good and evil, of what is right and what is wrong. They were pursuing righteousness through the wrong tree in the garden that they thought they could become righteous by understanding the law. Do this, don't do that. Do this, don't do that. That this system was the thing that they were trying to be good enough by. And Paul makes a very clear case in Romans 6 and 7 that that system could never make you righteous. Right. So that's before Romans 6 and 7 and then Romans 8. Just go and read it for yourself that Paul is making a clear case. The law of the Jews was never designed to make you righteous, but the Jews didn't get that. They thought 
that pursuing righteousness through the law was their source of approval and for the sake of this podcast, it was their source of salvation. But here's the deal. Let's keep reading. Brethren, so Paul was a Jew, by the way, and so this is the context here. Brethren, my heart's desire and my prayer to God for them is for their salvation. For I testify about them that they have zeal for God, but not in accordance with knowledge. For not knowing about God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own, they did not subject themselves to the righteousness of God. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. In other words, when you come to Christ, you are dead to this system of righteousness. When you come to Christ, you no longer need a list of do's and don'ts. When you come to Christ, you no longer need the law. And in verse 5, Romans 10, 5, For Moses writes that the man who practices the righteousness which is based on law shall live by that righteousness. But the righteousness based on faith speaks as follows. Do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down, or who will descend into the abyss, that is to raise Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? It says, the word is near you and in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith which we are preaching. That if you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord, and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart a person believes, resulting in righteousness, and with a mouth he confesses, resulting in salvation. For the scripture says, whoever believes in him will not be disappointed. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, abounding in riches for all who call on him. For whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. So, here's my question. When you look at the context of what Paul is talking about, and he's talking about two versions of righteousness in our pursuit of approval of God, our pursuit of our own happiness and our own beautiful life. And he's saying you can do this by pursuing the rules of do's and don'ts, by serving the law, and you will not become righteous. And then he says, or you can pursue this by faith and you will be saved. Now, this is where understanding the context of the Israel's story can be helpful. It's already in the surface, but I will tell you that it is a very clear concept in the Jewish history that salvation is a reference to when they were saved and they were freed from slavery in Egypt. So we think of it, we as Americans 2,000 years later, as English-speaking Westerners, we think of salvation, we immediately think a spiritual concept. But the Jews, it was a very natural concept that they were in bondage and that they were in slavery and that they were slaves in Egypt and they got saved, okay? And Paul is and when you understand in Galatians, when Paul talks about the bondwoman and the free woman, that he's very much referencing Egypt and how they out Egypt is a representation of the law of the knowledge of good and evil and that the Jews are enslaved to the law, that they are serving the law and the law does no nothing but put them under bondage. This is in Romans 7 very clearly. So that when you are in bondage to the law, 
He wants them to be saved from the bondage, not from the sin, because sin only comes about when you have a list of rules of do's and don'ts. If I don't tell my child, don't eat the cookie from the cookie jar, and my child eats the cookie from the cookie jar, has my child sinned? There's no law on top of the child that said, don't do it. And therefore, when you consider what Paul is saying, he's not saying, I want Israel to be saved from sin or saved from an angry God or saved from karma. He's saying, I want them to be saved from the law. I want their salvation from their idea of how to serve God. Salvation, I would say very, very biblically, has nothing to do with sin, has nothing to do with hell, has nothing to do with judgment. That salvation and what we are saved from is that we are saved from a terrible way of thinking about life and all of those things. That when we submit ourselves to the knowledge of good and evil, that we think if we do these things, God will love us. And if we don't do these things, God will hate us. That if we do these things, our life will go well. And if we don't do these things, our life will go bad. That system of thought is the very system that Paul wants us to be saved from. It's the very system that believing on Christ actually saves you from because Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. You notice, so this is Romans 10, 4, right? It's in that middle of right of what I just read you. It doesn't say Christ is the end of God's judgment on you. It says Christ is the end of the law for righteousness system. So that is all the proof that I need personally, and you can take it or leave it, that Paul is not talking about, you know, believe in your heart, confess in your mouth, and you will be saved from judgment. You'll be saved from hell. You'll be saved from sin. No, he is saying this belief in Christ, you get saved from the law. You get saved from religion. Because let's be honest, that's what religion is. So you want to go out and preach salvation? <laughs> you know you know the people who need salvation the most are religious people. <laughs> Do you realize that literally I've made a living and I've made a a reputation and a career out of getting people saved? And I have never once led anybody through a sinner's prayer. Because true salvation is not from an angry God or from hell. True salvation is from a system that tells you there's an angry God and there's a hell. And that system is a religious, law-based, anti-anointed, anti-Christ, that's what Christ means is anointed, any system that tells you you are not, any system tells you that you are not like God, that you are not his child, that you're not good enough, that you're going to go to hell and he's going to judge you, that system is the thing you need salvation from. That system is the knowledge of good and evil. That system is the wrong tree. In order for this system to exist, you need three things. You need an angry God and some form of judgment, right? which, you know, the judgment can be hell or it can be karma or both. You need a record to be kept, right? So you need the judgment and you need a record. 
you know, a book of law, a book of sins. And then last but not least, you need the rules, right? Because if you're going to break the rules, you need rules to break. So you need judgment, you need a record, and you need a law. And if you know anything about what the Bible says and about what Christ came to do is that Christ took on all the judgment. There is no record of wrongs, right? That our sins have been removed as far as the east from the west. And that Christ is the end of the law for righteousness for everyone who believes. That he did not come to abolish, but became to fulfill the law once for all. And then he set up a whole new covenant and a whole new system of righteousness called faith. So, you need those three things. You need judgment, the record, and the rules in order to have this idea of salvation from sin and from hell and from God. But... (laughs) What do you need in order for the real meaning of salvation is to be saved from the law, to be saved from religion, to be saved from the list of do's and don'ts, to be saved from your bondage to Egypt. I'm going to be doing a typologies class. It'll be an intensive soon. By the time you hear this recording, that might already be started. Um, And one of the assignments that will be for the students will be to uh, actually go through Galatians chapter, I believe it's chapter three, where he talks about the bondwoman and the free woman and their children and their offspring. As uh, If you're taking that class, a little hint is that the right answer to the question you'll have to research is that Egypt represents the law. And Egypt represents the system of right and wrong that the law and enslavement to it, that we go to it as a salvation, like the Israelites left and they went under Joseph. And when Joseph rules over Egypt, it's actually a place of salvation. But when Pharaoh rules over Egypt, it's a place of enslavement. And so there's a lot in there. But the point being is, is that our salvation is not from God. Our salvation is not from hell. Our salvation is not from karma. Our salvation is from a system that says all of those things even have to exist. That we are saved from our own mindset. Now, I can prove to you in one paragraph that hell is nothing more than an idea. If you understand, I believe it's First Peter, and I don't know the chapter, but if you, you know, it's First or Second Peter, they're not big books, you can look it up yourself. I want to say it's like First Peter 3 something, but where Peter says that Jesus descended into hell and released the prisoners, okay? That he set, he released the prisoners that were held in hell when he was dead on the three days that he was dead. And you've probably kind of got this idea in your head, like Jesus went down there and he punched the devil in the face and he said, you bad devil, you lose, I win. And I'm going to take these keys of death and hell from you. And I am the victor and you lost finally. And, you know, somehow we have this, I don't know if Jesus like punched him in the style of like a gladiator or if it was like more like a slap, like, hey, I'm not really a bad guy, but you lose. Sorry. You know, is it kind of like Godfather style or what? (laughs) (laughs) Or like 300, like or Viking style. Like, did he just go and just pummel Satan to take? No, no, he didn't do any of that, actually. Peter, he says he went and he preached to the spirits in prison. Wait a minute. So Jesus went to hell and people left prison because he preached. 
Yes. Because hell is an idea. And if you want to get out of hell, get a different idea. Get a new idea. Get an idea that Jesus, I want to know what it was that Jesus said to a whole crap ton of people in hell that made hell give up its dead. Because whatever he said was the very magic that releases humanity from the hell of its own making. Hint, hint. Hell is part of a system that believes in punishment. It's part of a system of the knowledge of good and evil. So Jesus did not go down there and say, well, if you do three Hail Marys and you give enough money to the poor uh, down here in the dead world, then you will go to heaven now. No. He went and he gave them a different idea. And I dare say that everyone who was in hell at the time was someone who died under the law. If you look at scripture, that those who have died under the law. And he went and preached to them a world without law, a world without rules and do nots and do's. And where Paul says, all things are permissible. There is no such thing, guys, as sin. Now, are there natural consequences for stupid decisions? Yes. Is there uh, uh, spiritual reality and an emotional reality to murder, lust? Absolutely. And we can talk about that all day long. But as far as God is concerned, when it says he is not counting your sins against you, when it says that he has removed your sin as far as the east is from the west, when he says that all things are permissible, he means it, right? There is no such thing. There is no record. There is no list being kept, okay? The only thing that we need to really concern ourselves with is the hell and the judgment system that we are creating in our minds. Now, you might be listening to this saying, okay, Austin, we're saved from the law. Awesome. Hopefully, you know, that's news to you. And the idea that preaching is the thing that gets you out of hell. I know for a lot of people I've shared that and it's been kind of a new idea and they thought, oh my gosh, that's, that's pretty plain. Like if you want to leave hell, you have to hear a different message. If you've never thought of that, that is absolutely the core reality of all spiritual journey that there is no external system. There are no mantras. There are no rituals. There are no, man, lists of do's and don'ts. There's no religion that can earn you heaven. Heaven is within you. If you want heaven and you want the abundant life that Jesus talked about, enter into it now. Don't try to do a bunch of bullcrap to get there someday because you'll realize that the very heaven or hell you live in now will be the one you experience then. Which is why Jesus always talks about rewards and talks about, and Paul talks about being convinced in your own minds and we were enemies in our minds and everything like that. This is literally, and one of my favorite religious systems that I'm starting to develop a lot of respect for is kind of the Buddhist tradition, not because they don't have their problems, but because they understand that the primary enemy is our own minds. And the idea of this big, massive, you know, bad guy named Satan or this drunk heavenly father who comes home one day and in a drunken stupor decides to beat Jesus to death because he's so mad at you and me. 
If you haven't read my articles, Drunk Daddy God 1 through 3, I highly suggest it. It kind of gets into the to the lie of substitutionary atonement. And this podcast actually touches on it in a different way. But the idea that either God's going to kill you or you know, karma's going to get you or Satan's going to get you, all of that stuff is the hell that we create for ourselves. And freedom from it is the simple idea that Jesus came to deliver. That God loves you, you're forgiven, and you are saved. That the simplicity of believing in his system would free you. Now, here's the thing. All that is is an idea, right? So we as Christians have taught for years that you don't have to do anything to be saved. And then we give a bunch of lists and we go tell them, well, once you are saved, you need to do a bunch of shit. But to get saved, you don't need to do anything. Well, (laughs) to get saved, what you're really doing is giving them a new idea, right? And then you're following it up with a (laughs) a whole list of old ideas. And which is where you get, typologically speaking, when when Israel originally went to Egypt, it was salvation, and then it turned into slavery. And that's what Christians do now. We, we tell people, come, come to us, come to Jesus, and he will love you and forgive you, and everything is great. And then now that you're here, you got a lot of work to do. Get to work, slave. And so Egypt and that law system then gets piled on. And as Paul so many times gets on people like, guys, what what are you doing? How did you start off so well? And then you ended up with this stupid set of rules and this stupid system and everything like that. Anyways, I digress. So you may be listening to this and you think, okay, I understand that we're saved from a religious system. And I understand that hell is an idea. But what do I do with the reality that scripture does talk about being saved and the reality that there seems to be um, (laughs) heaven and hell concepts on the other side. We have anecdotal evidence or I don't know even how, what other version of evidence there would be of there being a heaven, of there being a hell. What do I do with the realities of the world around me? And how can you say that salvation is just from a system. And for me, I would point to what I would believe, you know, this kind of gets into the once saved, always saved and everything like that. If you've heard of the idea of universalism or ultimate reconciliation, um, I, I believe in what I would call ultimate universalism. And here's what I mean. In the fact that hell and salvation are all about an idea. I would also say, so is your experience on the other side of death. Universalism is the idea that everybody will eventually, or everybody is saved. There are different schools of thought in it. One of them is that it doesn't matter what you believe, you are saved, You there is no punishment. When you die, you go to heaven. That's all there is. There is no hell and everyone is good because we're all in God and God is righteous and good, and there's nothing in him that is evil. And therefore, you cannot, you know, David says, if I go to the lowest hell, you are there. So the idea of eternal damnation and eternal banishment from the presence of God is actually impossible because there's nothing outside of God, and so on and so forth. There's lots of philosophical ways to look at it, and universalism itself 
like any school of thought, has multiple versions of what people would say they believe. For me, I say I believe in uh, ultimate universalism in that I would absolutely say your beliefs matter. What you believe in this life will absolutely affect what you receive in the next. And if you understand the universal law of belief and vibration, then you understand that your mind is not your body, right? When you die and your body dies, your mind and your soul and your spirit live on. And if hell or heaven and salvation and all of that is not about your body, then by default, it must be about your mind. And so I'm going to boil it down real quick. And if you want to study it more for yourself, please read Thomas Troward, The Creative Process in the Individual. Um, This book is amazing and it absolutely explains what I'm saying in much further detail. But that you take your beliefs with you when you die. And if you believe in a system of judgment and you believe in a system of hell and heaven and reward and all that stuff, then that is what awaits you. You are what you believe. And if you believe in heaven and you believe that you are saved and you believe that Jesus died for your sins, guess what? That's what you get. That is the genius of the idea that Jesus planted, right? So I don't believe that God was ever mad at humanity. I don't believe that humanity was ever doomed anywhere but in their own minds. I agree with Paul on that, that we were enemies in our minds. And so if that's the case, why did Jesus come to die? Jesus didn't come to make the Father happy with you. He already was happy with you. Jesus didn't come to take the blows of drunk daddy God so that daddy God wouldn't beat up the, the younger children. Jesus came to free us from this lie of the knowledge of good and evil. Jesus came to free us from ourselves. That literally, we are our own prison jailers. We are our own prison guards. And when you die, your mind and all of those thoughts and all of those beliefs, they go with you. But Jesus comes in and gives us one idea that obliterates a world of bullshit ideas. And he says, guess what? You might have all of this other stuff, but when you die, you're saved. When you die, you're going to be judged and you're going to be found righteous and you're good to go. Why is that such a big deal? Because when you die, you take those ideas with you. And in that moment, you activate the most important idea you've ever had. And that is that I am saved and I'm good and I'm righteous and I'll receive rewards, and boom, hell is obliterated with an idea. And I believe that is the idea that Jesus delivered in hell in in the book of Peter, where he talks about Jesus going down into hell and preaching and releasing the captives. The idea is that God loves you. The idea is that you're not a screw-up. The idea is that you're not waiting to be punished. And the idea is that it is the system of death and hell the system of the knowledge of good and evil, that has actually been the great Satan. That has been the actual thing killing you. And I came to show you a different system, a new covenant. And that covenant is simple and clean and easy. And all you have to do is believe it 
And that is what you get. I believe in ultimate universalism in that the same way. So when you look at the book of Revelation, it says that it's not all in the book of Revelation, but taking scriptures and making a point that when we die, we receive judgment. And if your name is not found written in the book of life, then you are thrown into the lake of fire. And it says in the book of Revelation that the lake of fire is the second death. So I asked the spirit for years, what in the world is the second death? And then one day it hit me. O-M-G. I was reading 1 Corinthians 15 and I saw the part where it talks about in Adam all died and in Christ all were made alive, right? We died in Christ. We died in Adam. Let me ask you, of all the deaths in human history, what are the two most important deaths? <laughs> Our death in Adam, every for all died in Adam. There's literally only two deaths where every human has died. We all died in Adam and we all died in Christ. Which one was the second one? Our death in Christ. So I believe that when it says in the book of Revelation that if your name is not found written in the book of life, that you were thrown into the lake of fire, right? And that lake of fire is the second death. That's not a translation by Austin. It literally is in there. It says this this is the second death, the lake of fire. And that second death is your death in Christ. And where Paul says that we will be saved as though through fire. I believe he's absolutely referencing the lake of fire. And the fact that in 1 John 2, it says that he died not for our sins only, but for the sins of the whole world. And when Paul talks about the, having the foundation of Christ, he is talking about the fact that everybody, every human on the planet, has the foundation of Christ. And that how we build on that will be judged. Absolutely. And it will be judged as though through fire. Nonetheless, the foundation remains. And so those who go to judgment and have done nothing worth saving, they themselves are saved. They will not have a great reward and they certainly will not have a lot of responsibility in heaven. If you look at Jesus's discussions about responsibility and whatnot, but nonetheless, they are saved. How do I say this? Well, what do you think Jesus did in, in 1 Peter when he talks about going down into hell and he preached to them? So if Jesus can save all of those people after they're already dead, why can't he save Hitler? Why can't Hitler have his deeds judged, have no reward, no responsibility, no authority, yet he himself is saved as though through fire? I use Hitler because obviously there's a massive, like, uh, there's some of you probably listening to this went, ooh, why did he have to use Hitler? I mean, obviously, there's got to be hell for Hitler, right? Well, <laughs> who decides that? And at what level is somebody truly worthy of eternity? Eternity in t- conscious torment and separation. I could be wrong about all of this stuff, guys. I absolutely could. Even to that end, I want to throw in, you know, a different idea of ultimate universalism in that the idea that uh, if you don't get it right this time around, you come around again and you're reincarnated, 
right? So the idea of reincarnation, actually, when you understand that you are your mind and you're not your body, and the idea that your mind and your soul and everything, that there's an intelligence there that is higher than what we can comprehend in the, in the body, typically, then the idea of being reincarnated and keep trying again until you get it right also makes a bit of sense. And as I said, listen, you know, read Thomas Troward, Creative Process Individual. You'll get some more details as to what, more about what I really think in granularity. But I'm aware there's a few different ideas, but none of them tell me that God is an angry God with a, <laughs> with a, I don't even, how would he kill you when you're already dead? I'm not sure. But the second death and he's going to throw you into this lake of fire and you're going to burn forever and ever 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 and ever. Like, because that's justice and that is, you know, a just and holy God. Those ideas to me fall so short of the fullness of who Christ showed God the Father to be. And honestly, when you unpack scripture, you understand that salvation itself is from that very idea that there is this system. That literally, guys, Jewish Christianity, NAC is a community, as a thought form, one of my primary goals, if I'm honest, is to free you from religion, right? It's to free you from the Antichrist, to realize that you are anointed, you are God, Right? That you are an individual, specific expression of the universal mind in singular form, known as, in my case, Austin. That God has never experienced being in the way that he does through me. And yes, I want to build a community. Yes, I want to build a thought form. I've actually adopted the idea that this is a wisdom tradition. Right, the New Age Christian wisdom tradition. Because the difference between a wisdom tradition and a religion is that wisdom traditions don't build buildings. (laughs) They don't make hierarchies and structures and require finances to stay alive. They simply pass on through mentorship and through teaching. They pass on what they've learned. And I want New Age Christianity to be a wisdom tradition. Yeah, sure, we may have an office someday and and we we have websites and write books and stuff, but this is not about building a hierarchy. And this is not about building a structure that's meant to serve itself. This is about sharing a new thought form that frees people from religion and literally is your salvation. Your salvation from the law. Your salvation from religion. Your salvation from the Antichrist. If life and death isn't about salvation, then what is it about? Because if you ask most people, Life and death is essentially all about, well, don't get it wrong on this side or else the next side is going to get you. So get it right on this side so that the next side is good. And we instinctively have this feeling like life is short, but eternity is long. (laughs) And so I don't want to get it wrong. And then we make our entire lives about the future about after we die. And yet Jesus says, I came to give you life and that you would have life abundantly. Now guys, the point of life is to live. Is it really that hard of a concept to understand? I think it is. I think it's become very difficult for understanding. What's the meaning of life? Living. 
Well, yeah, guys, if you really boil it down and we can have a philosophical discussion over a cigar any day, give me a call. You got to buy the cigar, but I'll have a, I'll sit down with you and we can take all the time we need to get down to the point that the meaning of life is to live. Because experiencing existence is the beauty, including the bullcrap, right? That if you could find joy in all things and you could find contentment in all things, like Paul talks about so many times, you'll realize that the meaning of life is to live and it becomes its own source of joy. And if the goal is always in front of you, I promise you'll never live. You will never be there. So salvation is so much about the things in our minds. Salvation is so much about our own systems, our own constructs. It has nothing to do with things outside of you. An angry God or karma or Satan or the devil it has everything to do with your own constructs and your own hell that you create for yourself. I hope this has blessed you guys. There are so many nuggets in here. I know if you have questions and you want to begin a discussion on the private Facebook group and or in the post comment section on the website, newagechristianity.org. You're welcome to. I'd always love to uh, engage with the community and see where you guys are really at. This podcast actually came out from a question that uh, you guys have heard from Kat in one of the previous interviews. And her mother had an interaction with a pastor at a church down in Indiana who asked some questions and came back with some interesting responses to the idea of universalism and whatever. And I thought, you know what? We should do a podcast. So I hear you guys, and these episodes are certainly uh, in response to where you guys are really at, and uh, will continue to do so. So don't hesitate to participate in the private group on Facebook. If you have not joined it, just hit me up on Facebook and request. You can go to the normal Facebook group and ask for access. When the new website is up and running, there will be a very prominent button that says join Facebook group on the front page, and you can do that automatically. So, again, love you guys. Thank you for your time. Please consider donating if you have not. We always appreciate you. Just uh, ask Spirit about that and keep us going and keep us uh, <laughs> keep us fed. We'll see you guys on the next episode. Bless you.